Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Galaxy's Greatest Podcast about the two great 90s space station shows, Babylon 5 versus DS9. But this week, we're not talking about either Babylon 5 or DS9. Instead, we're talking about Star Trek Prodigy Episode 5, Terror Firma, and we're talking about Star Trek Discovery Season 4, Episode 1, Kobayashi Maru. I am Bob from Cascadia. That's Matt from the Southland. Usually the whole point of these bonus episodes is that I call Matt an idiot, Matt calls me an idiot. It's a fun little game we play, but today we're faced with a very dark truth. Today we're faced with the dark truth that Matt, you and I are both idiots. Yeah, we're both idiots. Uh, that opening credit scene, Bob. Yeah, yeah. So we had noticed, like, you know, uh, Eternals-looking hand or Celestials-looking hand. We noticed Hollow Janeway. We noticed some other weird stuff. But it it turns out there's a there's a hidden design to the opening credits that our that our small little primate minds just couldn't grasp. Yeah, it's the characters from the show. All of them. Yep. Yep. So now that for the fifth time, or I guess the fourth time, technically, for the fourth time that we've seen uh, these opening credits for the fifth episode, Matt, does, does this change your ranking of the opening credit scene at all? Yeah, it's pretty lame now that I've actually seen like that they're flying in and out of uh, Zero and they're going out of Jankum Pog's hand, maybe. I don't, I don't know. It's yeah. Just... Yeah, <laughs> I uh, I like it a lot less now, but I still think I like it more than the disco and Picard uh, credits. Yeah, that that that's fair. Yeah. Oh boy, well, that's depressing. Let's keep going. Yeah. So, uh, this episode is the first Star Trek writing credit of Julie and Shauna Benson. Uh, they're sisters. They have a run on Batgirl and Birds of Prey that I've heard is good, but I haven't read. And I think that's basically all the comics they've written. But you know. Birds of Prey is a good good series, usually. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. Did you uh, enjoy the line, what would the real Janeway do? She would clean house. Yeah, she would. I mean, it's a good joke. It's a good reference to that meme. <laughs> uh, but, I mean, it's... How do you feel about Hollow Janeway? I, I kind of like her. I think, oh, I do, uh, too. I do, yeah. too. I mean, she's definitely the my favorite thing about the show. The I like the Medusan okay... Jank and Pog could be okay, but they just basically use him for shit jokes. And so I'm getting rather tired of that. And I guess Mara Jade is fine. Everybody else I kind of hate. Yeah, uh, the thing with Hollow Janeway, I, was, I think I said this in the introductory episode, but like if she was taken out of the show and the ship had a different design, this wouldn't have to be Star Trek. Nope. I, I, yeah, it seems very weird. Like I feel like they. But I mean, if it wasn't Star Trek, it wouldn't exist. Right, it'd be some weird ass show no kid would watch. Yep. <laughs> so. As opposed to some weird ass show that probably no kid is watching. Oh, let, let me let me highlight this though, Bob. I go on my Paramount Plus account, and it'll uh-huh. do the same thing for you. It'll say now underneath, it says people who watch uh, Star Trek Prodigy also watched. Guess what it says? All well. Guess what the whole list is? Nickelodeon cartoons, I assume. Freaking Peppa Pig, Bob. Peppa Ooh. Pig. Ooh. Paw Patrol. <laughs> I I have had to watch some Paw Patrol with my little cousins. That's a, uh, ooh boy, that's a dog shit I, show. I'm just like, damn. I don't I don't know. I feel like it's destroying my algorithm on a. Uh, One of my uh, favorite uh, podcasters, uh, Elizabeth Bruning of the podcast The Brunings. 
she has a funny story about how she banned Peppa Pig in her household because her oldest daughter was starting to imitate the shitty British accent from Peppa the Pig. And she's just like, <laughs> no, we're not having this in my house. Damn. <laughs> Which good for her. Good for her. Yeah, th- this episode, though, is much more, um, I guess, kid-friendly Star Wars-ish. Yeah, this really felt like a regression, whereas episode three and episode four, it was like, okay, this actually does feel like a Star Trek show, albeit for small children. And it did some really interesting building after the sort of Star Wars-y pilot. But no, now we're just back to like very a very childish Star Wars show. Yeah. Back to those Star Wars antics. A lot of jumping, a lot of dodging things, a couple yeah. of lasers. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of, but, lot of shit jokes. Yeah, the yeah. problem I have too, though, is like when, I read, when I've read reviews of the show, they talk about this is more like Abrams uh, Trek or J.J. Trek. And I'm like, I don't, wouldn't even get it that much credit at this point. It's more Star Wars. Like, it's not... Yeah, I, yeah. And then in terms of, you, you brought up something I didn't think about, but in terms of them sheltering under the crashed Klingon vessel, like they know what Klingons are. Yeah, how so does that affect your theory, Bob? Because I, 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 I guess it kills it. I, oh, so I, I, I don't, I guess it is, man. I don't know how you can have, but I, I don't know how they can know what Klingons are, be regularly exposed to Delta Quadrant words like the Hirogan and the Kazon, and then not know what the Federation and Starfleet, it just, it doesn't make any sense. I, I now no longer think that the backstory for the Protostar will make this make sense. Other than what? That the children are really what, Bob? Well, no, because even if the children are dumb, that doesn't, <laughs> that doesn't explain why there are so many Alpha and Delta Quadrant markers mixed up together. Oh, okay. I see what you're saying. Because this is like the same period of time as Lower Decks, more or less. Yeah. yeah and so... Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. Like, there can be Alpha Quadrant stuff or there can be Delta Quadrant stuff. There can't be both. It is what it is, Bob. They just decided to go and... It probably had originally had, like, an X-Wing or something sitting there, and then they had to color over <laughs> it with a ship from Star Trek. What's that What's that one the Klingons have? Oh, yeah, let's just draw one of those over it. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right, so now, now we're going to come to what's probably going to be the most controversial part of the podcast. So, Matt, uh, any thoughts on the Protostar being literally knocked up with a star? Yeah, Bob, I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. I didn't catch this. It's, it's powered by a star. It's powered by a baby star, a Protostar or whatever. Where they does it get they literally the... call it a womb, dog. Where does it not? Okay, so you're saying... <laughs> but a womb is just an open area. It's not a... It's not pregnant. That's just... It has a very specific connotation. And especially <laughs> when you're talking about something being a womb and you call it a baby as an adjective, like a baby star... Like that, uh, the pregnancy connotations are there, man. You're taking <laughs> it there. Too, you're taking it too far. I, I am not taking it too far. I am giving what the Star Wars cartoon for children. <laughs> I'm taking what the Star Wars cartoon for children gives me. It's a ship that's run off of tiny, off of, off a little store. That's all it is. That it holds in its womb. Yeah, in its engine room. Okay, you don't call it a damn womb. They call it a womb. I don't call it a womb. Which character called it a womb? Because I apparently missed this piece. Oh goddamn! Yeah, so I need to know what character. This. I need to know what character called it a womb. I I don't I don't take notes it's, that closely on it. Let me uh, let me pull up Memory Alpha and see if what's made it into the dialogue or what's made it into the quotation section of the. 
Well, I mean, it's like a three-day-old episode. The transcript is not on. <laughs> I'm just telling All right, you. Both. Look, I'm not going. I'm not going to rewatch this episode you, because fuck this show. I'm only just re. I'm only, like, only just rewatch it. I gotta know which they character said that. Call it a womb. If it was one of the scary dark characters, they were just they just used a thesaurus. That's all they did. They didn't really care what word they were using. Whatever. Like if it was the Emperor Palpatine character, then whatever. He can call it whatever he wants. But it's not a womb. It's just it's just where it's just housed in the ship. I mean, that's legit. Like I, calling the engine room a womb. Nobody does that. I, I didn't do that. They did that. Oh well. You're the one that pointed out because I completely missed it. I guess I was not paying enough attention. So, all rough, right. rough. So I did want to ask, does this, uh, does this at all make the name for the show a little more fitting for you? All these imageries of, you know, maternalism and childbirth, blah, blah, blah. You know, the, like prodigy refers to younger people. You, you know, there's a kind of symbolic economy going on here. Yeah, I, 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 I don't, I still don't get it because those kids are really stupid to me. I'm, I'm still thinking the kids are dumb. Yeah. I would make a note that there is a long uh, history of shows that Janeway's involved in having like really questionable links between the female body and the start and the structure of a starship. Because if you ever go back and watch, uh, especially season one of Voyager, there's an awful lot of episodes of season one of Voyager about there being a very small aperture. And Voyager just being able to fit through it or just not being able to fit through it. And it's pretty clear that the writers are on an unconscious level working through some things about like, you know, haven't had a female captain on the show before. Maybe they're a little nervous, but it it comes out in the plotting. That's all I'll say. So you're saying like Voyager's a penis in some episodes. Yeah, I'm just saying that there's some heavy phallic and uh, vaginal imagery in some in some of early Voyager. That's all I'm saying. Gotcha. Well, let's move on to uh, talk about another character. Uh, Are they going to make Mara Jade a captain, Matt? She's sitting in the chair like a captain. Yeah, I think Mara Jade's going to get in some... Uh, there's going to be some conflict between Mara Jade and Dahl. Oh, man, I hope she beats his annoying ass. Well, I think I do know that that thing that came out of that Mara Jade sword thing on her arm mm-hmm. can also apparently heal her. So she can take it and, you know, use it as a sword and then use it on her leg to heal her. That's like some video game level shit right there. Was that shown in the pilot? I didn't remember that from the pilot. It like shot from her hand and it became a sword thing. She was slicing with it. It's going to be a really cool action figure when you yeah, can like all, remove all, it from all the arm. like and a Star Trek version of a lightsaber. Yeah. Well, yeah, kind of. It's more like a, it's, it's it's almost like a hidden blade type thing though. Like, I, I just don't understand what it's composed of that can also heal her leg or be used as a, I guess as a uh, stem. The force, Matt. Yeah, the force. Probably the, the force. Yeah. Yeah, I did want to point out uh, another kind of ironic thing about the show, as long as we're comparing it to Voyager. So you know, like the basic premise of Voyager: stranded in the Delta Quadrant, can't get home fast enough, and then. Of the successor shows, three of the five have been about ships with like experimental warp drives. So Enterprise, Disco, and now Prodigy have all been shows that are primarily about, ooh, look at this fancy new warp drive. Yeah, Bobby, you learn you learn from your mistakes, uh, sorta, or, or maybe not. Because eh, I, I mean, they're all in the past technically, other than Prodigy. Yeah, other than so, Prodigy, but they're when they go to the future. I don't know how that works. There's a there's a <laughs> lot there. There's a yeah. lot there. 
So many layers to the Star Trek onion. All right. Oh, man. So, so you had you had another theory since my, uh, or I guess it wasn't mine, but I was championing it. The uh, Since the Delta Quadrant theory would seem to be debunked, you have a, you have another uh, crackpot theory? Yeah, Mercer Changeling. Yeah, could be. I mean, that's what like baby changelings look like. We we do see a baby changeling in a DS9 episode. Did it look like that? I can't remember. I don't remember, but, you know, somebody to keep up with. Be, I mean, it'd be cool if Murph's changeling and then turns into, like, an Odo one day. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. I mean, I, that, that would be something. It is kind of strange how much more role that Next Generation and Voyager seem to play in influencing new Star Trek than DS9 does. Yeah, I, I mean, it, it's, I guess, DS, DS9's always been kind of like the black sheep, though. Yeah, yeah. So. But I don't know, like, I feel like, definitely DS9 has its detractors, but I feel like if you ask somebody, usually they will say DS9 is the best show. If you ask a Star Trek fan, yes, DS9. Yeah, yeah, if you ask a Star Trek fan, yeah. If yeah. you ask, like, run-of-the-mill dude, they're going to talk either about Captain Kirk or Picard. Yeah, like, no, that's true, that's true. And honestly, like, probably, I would think man on the street, woman on the street, probably knows Janeway better than Cisco, but I don't know that for a fact. Yeah, possibly. All right, so th this show ends where they, you know, they get off the planet, everything's saved, we learn about the, we learn about the ship's star that's running it. Uh, you've got the two bad guys were there in person to, uh, ooh, you, ooh. yeah, and it was, eh. I understand now why they're waiting. They're gonna, they're not gonna show another episode till January. I'm kind of wondering if they want to see where this was gonna go and if they just need to cut it at this point. Oh, I don't, I don't think they will. I think they've, they have it for 20 episodes, and I assume the first 10 are made. Oh yeah, they're doing a season two already. I'm just saying, like, I feel like this is like what they already had in the can, and they had to get that done. Like they want to go and show those, and they're like, okay, well, we'll see how it goes. And then yeah, January it doesn't, rolls it doesn't around. really feel like a mid-season finale. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Like, does it make sense to air like small bits of a children's cartoon? I I would tend to think that you would probably just want to air the whole cartoon all at once, but I don't really know. I mean, yeah, it makes sense. I mean, I guess I don't know why. But the thing is, with streaming services, though, it's so different now. Like, um, I don't know how I don't know how kids actually watch it. Like, do they? You know, it used to be like we would have to turn the channel a certain time, certain day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now it's Wake like they can watch it. To watch whatever. Right, and if you missed it, you missed it until it went back into, went back around in the run. You know, which could be another two or three months. Like imagine, like you know, if you like miss, if you miss an episode of like X Men on a Saturday uh -huh. morning, okay, and then you know you had to wait until the season was over and they went back around to watch it again, but now you can just pull it up streaming anytime you want. So, yeah, but I kind of feel though, like, and maybe, and maybe this is totally wrong. I don't understand child psychology or, you know, how you market, uh, streaming content to children, but it would seem like if you want to hook the kids to keep going with our drug dealer analogy that we've been using on this series, if you want to hook the kids, it would seem like you would want to give them a lot of product, not a little product. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, I don't, I don't know why they're waiting. Honestly, too, I feel like they... I'm going to start looking for merchandise to see if they actually come up with, like, Nickelodeon's really bad about, like, just popping out stuff, you know, real quick. Mm. I'm trying to see how they merchandise, how they merchandise, what's the word I'm looking for? Market the show. How they market the show to kids with toys and things like that. Well, I mean, and honestly, I mean, the algorithm kind of pointing us to Peppa the fucking pig. Yeah. 
kind of kind of does make it seem like they want children to watch it but the way they're airing it where it doesn't conflict with the other star trek does make it seem that paramount plus knows what i suspect strongly suspect to be the case which is just no the only people watching this are star trek fans yeah they, they don't know their demographic that well but you know they're just making money so they don't care as long as we keep watching and they keep putting money in their pockets they'll keep putting out this content yep yep <laughs> and we'll we'll keep uh existing uh remora like on the bottom making fun of it yeah <laughs> all right so let's transition from from prodigy for a moment let's go into discovery all right episode one season four kobayashi maru okay now the name kobayashi maru refers to that test that kirk cheated on right yeah yeah from star trek 2 and there have been a couple of novels since then purporting to give different but the real account of the Kobayashi Maru, as it were. And this is like an impossible scenario that you can't really win no matter what yeah, you do. Yeah, yeah. It's supposed to be like a test of character about like how you fail, you know. So what did you think of the episode overall? Well, I thought it was fine. Um, the trailer really turned me off because... The trailer looked very, very much like the trailers for season three and for season two. Just like galaxy-wide threat, Michael Burnham is having emotions, a lot of weird space battle stuff. And I, I thought this was actually a pretty good episode. I think I liked it a little more than you or my friend JR. Um, I didn't think it was like amazing or anything. The, the first episode of a season, I felt like it was okay. I mean, it wasn't... The best. Honestly, I'd give, I'd give this episode credit, especially for like the early part of it. It really actually does capture like the feel of like an episodic Star Trek episode with like here's a mission, here's a wacky alien, um, a lot more than I think basically anything else Discovery has done. So yeah, the the, the opening scene with the butterflies, Alshin. So with the yeah, Alshin. I, 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 I'd say they kind of look like uh, the engineers from the movie Prometheus, but with butterflies. Yeah, yeah that, is, that is true. That's exactly what they want. Did this thing remind you of like that beginning scene in Star Trek Beyond with like the cat aliens or whatever that we think are really big I... lions, but then they are like end up being tiny cubs? Okay, I, I don't remember that at all. I remember, like, don't they like raise the Enterprise out of the sea or something? Or is that Star Trek 2? I think that's... I don't know. I... I, I... I, I honestly, honestly, God, I can't tell you. I, I, I've like but, repressed the JJ movies. I've um, had years of therapy to deal with it. It's, I, you know, it's and it, I and it, I it may be awesome. wrong. It may not have been Star Trek Beyond. It may have been Into Darkness. But anyway, the opening of the episode reminded me of that scene, and I was like, oh, this is just like that, where they have kind of a first contact type thing, and there's a miscommunication, and then boom, they're they have to run. It was the same setup. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, yeah. So. One thing, so Tilly's still the uh, the first officer, right? She's the XO. Yeah. It's kind of weird, like that Reese is sitting in the captain's chair while Tilly's on the bridge. That that was kind of confusing. It's part of their leadership intern program. Okay, I mean, Tilly does seem like the type of person who would love to manage an internship program. <laughs> so you get a chance to sit in the chair for five minutes. <laughs> what was that episode of Lower Decks where the dude gets to sit in the chair for like? a second and then he has to get out remember oh that was good that was yeah. that was uh the with the alpha team or whatever they called yes. themselves yeah, yeah that see that, that that's what it was that was great things. that was great oh yeah it confused me though because I, I was under the impression tilly was first officer so yeah although maybe it's like a weird rank rank thing because i think she's i think most of the people on that bridge outrank her i think 
Yeah. She's, she's just a lieutenant, even though yeah. she's the first officer, which I guess you can do that in militaries, but it just, I, I don't know that. I like Tilly as a character, but that was, I, I was, that promoting her to EXO seemed like a weird move in season two or season three, excuse me. As we get into this plot, we find out there's this brand new space dock that's been built. It's where all the new innovations and things for uh, this new Star Trek ships are going to be built. Yeah, and it's it's named after Jonathan Archer from Enterprise, and I always hate to see anybody acknowledge or pay tribute to uh, Enterprise. Not only do they pay tribute through name, they also played Archer's theme when showing off that new Doc Bob. Did you catch that? Uh, well, so I was looking on Memory Alpha for the name of the Al Shin because I didn't catch it. So while looking uh, at the episode for the name of the Alshin species, I did see that they played Archer's theme. And then so when that scene happened, I noticed that, although I would not have recognized the theme, although yeah. I probably would have been like, that's a weird score choice. Why did they do that? Yeah. Let's say I didn't play uh, Faith of the Heart because that would have been really weird. <laughs> I mean, honestly, if they had done that, that would have been so stupid. It might have circled back around into being awesome. I'm probably totally gonna go and like uh, see if I can make that happen. Put it on Twitter. Oh, you gonna you gonna do like a re-edit over it? Yeah, I could totally do that. I might try that. Test my skills. Yeah, <laughs> all the all the all the great skills our podcast has given you. Yeah. That. Uh, so we are introduced to this Federation president, uh, Lara Relac. I guess is the name. <laughs> Lara. I'm just gonna be referring to her as the Prez. Lara Relac. She is basically Bajoran and Cardassian. She's a and Bajoran. human. And human. She's got a whole melting pot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so you were asking if the Cardassians had joined the Federation and I don't I mean, maybe. I don't necessarily know though. I mean we know that humans and Bashorans are part of the Federation, so that might cover it. You could also imagine that maybe there was some sort of a birth certificate controversy around her election. Um, I mean, I, I've never seen anything <laughs> about that in the real world, so I don't, I don't know why Star Trek huh. would go there, but maybe. Yeah, that, that's going to be a great novel. <laughs> the, the, the birther crisis. Yeah. That's, that's what you're going to call it. Of Lara Rulock, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, man. I, I will say, if Cardassia has joined the Federation, that would uh, fulfill a kind of bitter prediction that Michael Eddington makes it later in DS9. That's a, a, a kind of nice moment. Yeah, I, I really think that I'm pretty sure the Cardassians joined the Federation. I don't know. Uh, it just makes sense because if they're already like, you know, Bajoran and Cardassian ancestry, maybe her ancestors are what brought them together. Yeah, but I mean, there is a fair amount of uh, children of shared Bajoran and Cardassian uh, heritage because of the occupation. Although that granted, this is oh, hundreds yeah. of years later, so. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Speaking of uh, interesting aliens, so that idiotic commander, Nollis, is um, an Akosian, which, do you remember that awful short trek that was a, a prequel to the Picard show? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the one about, like, the two kids dying, I think. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, that guy, that, that, that short trek sucked. Anyway, we, we saw that species in that short trek for the first time. And then we also, in Commander Nollis' crew, we see a Lurian, which is the species of Morn from DS9. And so it's the first time we've either seen a Lurian or an Akazen uh, in Starfleet. Although apparently both species were in the Emerald Chain in Disco Season 3. Okay. Yeah. 
And we've seen worn species a lot on um, lower decks, if I'm not mistaken, too, right? Uh, never, that ne- sounds right, but I can't think of a specific ne- example. Never in a Starfleet uniform, though, I don't think. No, no. Yeah. Well, speaking of Starfleet uniforms, uh, this show loves to put Burnham in space suits. Yeah, no, I mean, it's they did it in the season one pilot. They did it in the season two finale. Uh, they did it at some point, I think, in season three, but I can't remember the point off the top of my head. But, yeah, just any excuse to get Michael Burnham out doing a spacewalk, the show will do it. They love they that stuff. She just flat out abandons the bridge. Yeah, yeah. I So how did you feel about Burnham and the Prez's relationship this episode? I think the Prez is pretty much, like, right as far as, like, everything goes. Yeah, because it's like Burnham keeps saying ridiculous things, and the president keeps being like, I, I don't know, Michael Burnham, that's not yeah. that's not maybe the best way. Yeah, you seem kind of crazy. You seem <laughs> like <laughs> you're a little too like too much like Kirk at this point. You need to yeah, a little, your, little emotionally unstable. Cool your jets. Yeah, it's very strange. Uh, at first I was kind of like, put off by the president like oh she wants to like hang out here and she's gonna do something kooky or something but then as the show progressed i was like oh okay she actually has to make some points that make sense and yeah i mean i i don't necessarily like want to watch a star trek show where like you know jean-luc picard or michael burnham is just like nope can't save everybody only you know gotta save 10 people and sacrifice two like you know that would be depressing i don't necessarily want to watch that show but also don't want to watch a show where Michael Burnham or Jean-Luc Picard speechify about how, well, if you can't save 12, you might as well not save any. Okay, so at the end of the episode, the press basically says that this was kind of a test to see if Burnham was ready to be the uh, captain of this ship that's going to have the pathway drive. And they refer to, the, they refer to that as the Voyager J, I believe. Yeah, so yeah, Voyager which we did J see is, in Season 3. So Voyager J is the flagship. And Burnham says that she would have not taken the position, even if she would have been offered it, which I thought was kind of ballsy for her to say. Yeah, yeah, I, I did like that of like, well, first of all, you shouldn't have fired me, but, yeah. or, or you shouldn't have rescinded the job offer. But second of all, I wouldn't have taken the stupid job offer, even if you had offered it. Yeah, I mean, come on. But apparently this pathway drive is going to be the next thing that, you know, I don't. I don't know if it's like the same as a spore drive or. It sounds like it's something different. I, I don't know if we're actually going to see any more of it. It seems like probably we are, but it also might just be a way to create a little tension between Burnham and the president. Yeah. Yeah, I, I gotta say, so there's like a right wing talking point about the show about like, oh, Michael Burnham is so insubordinate. They're not wrong, but it's also kind of a stupid right wing meme. I don't know the way like Michael Burnham talks to the president of the Federation. You're just kind of like, okay, cool, cool down, Michael Burnham. Cool. Yeah, down. yeah. There, there's some authority there. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I, I guess that's the really that's the sort of story of discoveries to find new authority figures each season for Michael Burnham to chafe against. You had Lorca and Giorgio in season one. You had Pike in season two. You had Vance in season three, and now you have the president. So uh, anything else notable about this episode? Uh, no Jet Reno. That that was sad. I like Jet Reno a lot. I, I wish she were there. Yeah, she'll, she'll I, thought be back. It, I thought it was a f- okay episode. They... They seem to be doing a little better about having the bridge crew, like, have lines, say their names often. Like, because that's 
really my biggest problem with Discovery as a show, which is a show I'm, I'm more or less like, but my biggest problem is just that it's like the only people on the ship are Burnham, Tilly, Stamets. Yeah. And you just get no development of the bridge crew uh, to the point where it's like, I struggle to remember their names even after, you know, even after being into season four, but they, they seem to try to be doing a better job of that. Yeah. It's primarily because they don't have like, episodes that just focus on one single character on the bridge like they do in all the other treks yeah and they just i i really wish it doesn't seem like they're going to abandon it but i just really wish discovery would have abandoned the overarching season plot stories because they're not that good and i would just like to see these characters have you know have adventures and you know get some development all right so when it comes to our coverage of discovery we're going to check back in mid-season yeah, because I, I think we, we found we found a lot of value in talking about Lower Decks every week. And we we found a lot of value about complaining about Prodigy every week. But I just don't know that, like, a weekly show on Disco will be that fruitful. I mean, I like the show, but I don't – I feel like if I come on here every week, I'm just going to be complaining about it. And that's not going to be fun. And like, But today we were talking about the uh, weird mid-season finale of Prodigy uh, Season 1, and we were talking about the Season 4 premiere of uh, Star Trek Discovery. Uh, I am Bob from Cascadia. That is Matt from the Southland. Have a good night, everybody. All right, thank you for listening. <laughs>